morning. If you'd like to read with me, we're going to be in the book of First Samuel, the first chapter. First Samuel one one through eleven. There was a man of Ramathium Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zephah, and, uh, excuse me, son of Zeph, and Ephrite. He had two wives, the one named Hannah and the other Peniah. And Peniah had children and Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah his wife and her sons and daughters, but Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously and irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So when it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, had heard her, and Elkanah her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? I am not more to you than the ten sons. After he had, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if it will indeed look on my affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. It is good to see each of you. We have some visitors. We are so glad that you're with us, and and we would invite you to come back at any opportunity that you have to come and be with us. We can turn on the TV and we can watch the news. We can read the news, look at the newspaper. And one of the top subjects that we read about or hear about is uh, the finances of this country. We hear about the stock market. It's ups, it's downs, uh, how the future looks based on its movement. And that's very interesting to us for a whole lot of reasons. A lot of people have retirement accounts in the stock market. They have, uh, uh, their business is in the stock market. That's how they make their, their primary money outside of retirement accounts. And did you know that the stock market of the United States is worth $30 trillion? $30 trillion. That's a sum greater than, than what we can really, uh, comprehend for the most part. It's hard to understand something being worth $30 trillion. And that's just the stock market of our nation. 
That's not including the Asian markets or the European markets or things like that. But the thing about the stock market is those who invest their money in the stock market do so so they can make a profit, so they can grow a retirement account, or so they can uh, uh, make their living in such a way that they can afford to live in this world. And they want to make a profit, right? You buy stocks or bonds or, or, or municipals or whatever it is, and the whole point is to profit. But of course, for that to happen, we have to have the right stocks in our portfolios, don't we? We have to have the right stocks. The market has to rise. It has to uh, uh, fluctuate for us in the correct manner. But that doesn't always happen, does it? Sometimes we lose money in the stock market. Now, over time, over periods of time, it's proven that the stock market always goes up. And in the short term, it might fluctuate and go down, come back, or whatever uh, the case may be. But over time, it will, or it has proven, to always go up. But sometimes we do lose money in the short term, right? Now, whether a person invests in the stock market with their money, or whether they put their money in a mattress, or whatever the case may be, we invest in this life in a lot of ways, don't we? We invest financially, we invest emotionally, we make investments in our lives. And that's what God expects us to do, right? Each action, each attitude, each activity is an investment in something. It's always an investment in something. Now, in the stock market, a wise investor studies the market, right? A wise investor looks at the history of a particular stock or a particular business and they watch it for a period of time. And they make a wise investment. Most people who invest in the stock market or most people who we hire to invest on our behalf really is, is normally what it is. We expect them to do their homework, don't we? We expect them to research the markets and to place our money in, uh, in accounts or with stocks that will uh, bring us a profit or at the minimum is of a low risk for losing our funds. Now, they do that because they want to maximize the potential, right? They want to maximize the potential. Now, those who make investments in life do the exact same things. A wise investor is going to examine all areas of life to ensure the greatest dividend of the investment. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at every aspect, aren't we? We're going to notice the history of something. And we're going to look at and we're going to try to amend where we need to amend. A person who buys stocks, they may have to move their, their money around, right? They may invest in this particular stock. And if it proves over the course of time that it's not uh, profitable, what does the wise investor do? You get out of that stock, don't you? You get into something else. And that is what Hannah did. Hannah invested in life so she could reap the greatest benefit. She was the shrewdest of investors of life. She was very wise. And she made 
wise investments. And her focus, though, was on eternity. Every decision she made that we have recorded for us, she invested in that particular decision based on the view of eternity. And I think that as we look at her, quote, portfolio this morning, let's take a look at her life. Let's learn some things from Hannah. I think that we can learn something and we will be able to focus our interest in the proper ways as we invest in this life. And we can make the right investments. Of course, that's what I've titled uh, this uh, morning sermon, Making the Right Investments. Now, I want us to notice our first point as we look at the life of Hannah and we decide uh, how we can use her example to help us best. The first thing we're going to notice is that Hannah invested in her family. She invested in her family. She invested spiritually, didn't she? She loved her family. And she loved her family and she invested in her family in spite of the great difficulty that was presented to her. You know, her life was not as easy as it should have been. It was not as pleasant as it should have been. But she persevered because she loved her family and she wanted to help her family. From the very beginning of this account that we read about Hannah, we learn uh, some disappointing things, don't we? To begin with, she's married to a man that has two wives. Now that's the perfect recipe for disaster, isn't it? That's the perfect recipe for disaster. That causes all kinds of problems, doesn't it? We look back over the history, and we see that any time we see that happening, there was a miserable life involved. We go back to Genesis, the fifth generation from Cain, a man by the name of Lamech, and he was married to two wives, and his character is very suspect. Very suspect. Abraham was married to Sarah, and what did Sarah decide to do? She, was, she wasn't having children. She had a handmaiden named Hagar. So she gave Hagar to Abraham so Hagar could bring children up and they would have been Sarah's children. Well, we know how that went, right? Miserable for everybody involved. Miserable for Hagar. Miserable for Sarah. Miserable for Abraham. The whole house was miserable. What about Jacob? Jacob had two wives, Leah, Rachel, he had two uh, concubines. And we understand as we look through the history of that family, it was contention all the time. No one got along. Ultimately, uh, the brothers sold Joseph into slavery because of their hatred for him. And it was all because of some poor decisions that Jacob made in having more than one wife. So we see, and we bring that up and talk about it because we want to look at the context within which Hannah lived. She lived in some very difficult circumstances, yet she persevered. She did those things that she needed to do, even though she was in a difficult situation. The, the lives of mothers and wives can be very difficult. I came across a, a true story that I thought was very interesting. In 1980, a small startup business was created in Petaluma, California, by a lady by the uh, named Karen Donovan. 
Now, she started a business called Rent-A-Wife. Rent-A-Wife. Now, you could have the okay wife, the good wife, or the trophy wife. And so the whole point of this was it began by her helping clients decorate their homes. So you rented a wife to come in and do the duties of what the wife would around the home, right? She would would do chores that normally a wife would take care of. And uh, she would run errands or, or, or whatever the case may be. Well, about four months into her endeavor, it was going really well. So she decided, and she tried to enlist her father to expand the business to rent a husband. You could rent a husband, he'd come and clear the drain, put up curtains, mow the yard, fix some things around the house. And then jokingly, she said this, uh, we're going to start rent a family. She was going to get her two sons, and they were just going to rent a family. And she said, we can do what any family does. She said, we can come over and eat all the food, turn on all the lights, put handprints on the walls, take showers and leave the towels on the floor, and when the clients are finished with rent a family, they call rent a wife to come and clean up the mess. She said, it just gets better from there. Of course, that's a humorous, a real-life account of this lady that started this business but the, the idea that we're talking about is, is the life under the best of circumstances. Wives and mothers are difficult. And we're looking at Hannah. Hannah had a life that was very difficult. She lived under trying circumstances, but Hannah had her mind on spiritual things. And she wanted to invest in this life in view of the next life. You know... One thing that God never promised us. He never said that the family would be an easy place to live, did He? The family is wonderful. It is the greatest benefit, this side of the church, that we have in this life. The family. But it's not always a bed of roses, is it? Sometimes we have difficulties in our families. There are going to be disagreements. There are going to be Problems that arise. But do you know what the secret is to keeping the family together? Is just that, never giving up. See, the problem with the family is it's full of people, right? And therein lies the potential to have difficulties. But Hannah persevered under trying times and she invested in her family. Now, the Holy Spirit gave us the recipe for having a family of which God can be proud. Paul commanded this. Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 22. He said, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in in everything. Now, often I have... uh, uh, had Bible studies and we've come across this uh, passage of Scripture and let me tell you something, the men love it. We love it. We love that passage, right? We like that passage. Submit to the husband. But the interesting thing is in the very next passage, Ephesians 20, uh, 5, 25-33, which is the balance of the chapter, God spent His time instructing the man on how to behave in the relationship. 
He said that the man, the husband, was to love and care for his wife in the exact same way that Christ loved and cared for the church. And he died for the church. Now, if you have a wife who is in godly subjection, not a dictatorship, godly subjection to her husband, and you have a husband who loves his wife to the point he would die for her, it doesn't get better than that in this world. It doesn't get better than that. But those aren't the only people in a family most of the time, right? Some people don't have children, but a lot of people do. And so then Paul went on to address in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So we have every aspect of the family. And how does that happen, by the way? How does it happen that the wife loves and respects her husband, the husband loves and respects his wife, and the children love and respect their parents and are obedient to them? How does that happen? That doesn't happen by accident, does it? That happens through investment in that family. That happens through encouragement to the family. It happens through example to the family. Godly parents train up their children to understand that being obedient to the parent is what God wants. And by being obedient to godly parents, we are being obedient to God. And that's, you know, that's hard for children to understand sometimes, isn't it? You know, Living in a family in the way that God wants us to live is not always convenient. Not convenient at all, is it? Sometimes we have to choose God over entertainment. Sometimes we have to choose God over sports activities. Sometimes we have to choose God over vacations or uh, things of that matter. And you know what young children do not always understand? That that's how it has to be and why it has to be that way. They don't understand that. And that makes it inconvenient sometimes to invest in the family properly, doesn't it? Sometimes it's just easier to, to, to take the easy way out and not fuss and argue and, and uh, have an issue with a child. But that's not what God wants, right? By investing in the family, those lifetime investments, even though they're difficult at times, will reap eternal dividends. Especially, it's difficult when we're talking about discouragement. Hannah had another person living in her family. Her name was Penina. And Penina was her husband's other wife. And that's discouraging. One of the things that discouraged Hannah was that she didn't have children. Now in that culture, that was terrible. That was uh, something that would uh, you would be ashamed of, the fact that you didn't have children. Now that wasn't Hannah's fault. But in that culture, they looked down on that. And so Penina did her best to always remind Hannah that she did not have children. And she used that as a way to discourage Hannah, to mock Hannah. She made Hannah's life almost unbearable. Yet, Hannah maintained her investment. Family can be just like that, can it? Sometimes we can become discouraged. Sometimes things happen in our family, in our families, and and it bothers us. Now, our circumstances, hopefully, are never going to be exactly like Hannah's in her context, but there are other aspects, right? Sometimes we may look out over our families and we may say, you know, this just hasn't really turned out the way I wanted it to. 
And not necessarily through the fault of the parent or anything like that, but sometimes we look out and we say, this just isn't going in the direction I want it to go. Sometimes our children do not do what we want them to do. Sometimes our spouses do not behave in the way that they ought to behave, and we look out, and that's discouraging to everyone involved. But what do we do? I think we can look at Hannah, and we can persevere. We can overcome. Has a a family member, a husband, a wife, a child, have they ever felt underappreciated? Have they ever felt taken for granted? You know, it was so funny for years... And we continue to talk about this. When our children were little, we talked about the kitchen fairy who always put the dishes up out of the the uh, dishwasher. You know, you had the clothes fairy who who folded everything, and you know, you open up the closet, and there just happened to be clean towels there all the time. You know, and we don't think about those things, do we? We don't think about that all. We just kind of take that for granted sometimes. You know, we take for granted that well, we're going to have a meal this evening. Or whatever the case may be. There's always shampoo in the, in the shower. We always have soap in the shower, right? Well, there aren't any fairies, are there? There isn't a, a bathroom fairy or a kitchen fairy or a laundry fairy. There's always someone doing it. And that person may be taken for granted. That person may be underappreciated. And we need to consider that, right? But even when that happens, what does that individual need to do? We maintain our investment. That doesn't mean we don't try to improve the situation. That's not what I'm talking about. People need to appreciate the other members of the family. But we maintain our relationships and our investments. And when we do that, when we invest in the family and we sure up that foundation, look, we can overcome a lot of things, right? We need to be careful what we sow, right? Paul talked about that. He said, sow the right things. So you can have the right harvest, in essence, is what he said, Galatians 6, 7 through 9. If we make the proper effort to invest in our families like Hannah did, she invested in her family through difficulty and through discouragement, you know, we can be confident that we've done what we can do. And then even with if a child or or whatever the case may be, does something that we would not approve of or we don't agree with, you know, we know that they still have that opportunity to overcome because we invested. If we don't invest, there'll never be an opportunity to overcome, will there? We have to invest. You know, Hannah invested wisely in her family. And she also invested wisely in her faith. That's our second point. As important as Hannah's family was to her, the main thing in her life was her faith and her belief in God and her obedience to God. That was the most important thing. And that's how it should be, isn't it? When a couple marry, that husband or wife relationship comes second to God. It's hard for us to understand that a lot of the times, isn't it? It's hard for us to put that into proper perspective, but we have to try to overcome that. The thing about Hannah was her her uh, faith was a very personal faith, right? She had a very personal faith. She interacted with God on a very personal level. We see it in in the the conversations that she had that that are recorded for us. We see it in the way she poured out prayers to God and the way she praised God. 
She knew who God was. She did not just know about God. She knew who He was. It was very personable, right? Now, there are times when we've done all we can do and our investment just simply does not pay off. That happens in the financial world, doesn't it? We've done the research, we've invested the money, we did it the proper way, and sometimes it just does not pay off. Now, when that happens in our spiritual lives, that's very difficult, right? We may invest our time, we may invest our love in our family and in our faith, and sometimes things just don't pay off. Not because we haven't done what we need to do, but that's just the way it is in this world sometimes, right? So what do we do? What do we do? We need to understand that God still loves us. Those times are going to come into our lives, and we need to make sure that we're still investing, and we don't stop, we keep going, right? We continue to have a personal faith in God. We continue to rely on God. We continue to honor Him because He loves us even when things in this life do not go according to what our plans are, right? What do you think Hannah would have done if if she had never been able to have a child? Well, I'm confident that Hannah would remain faithful. Hannah may not have been a mother, but she would have been a wonderful wife, continued to be. She would have been very faithful to God. She would have carried on... uh, in the ways that God wanted her to carry on in this life. So what do we do when we've done all we can do and it still seems like it's just not working out? What do we do in those cases? You know what a lot of people in the world do? They turn their backs on God. They get angry with God. I can understand that feeling at times, right? As people, we make poor choices. We allow our emotions to overcome us. We lose something very important to us in this life and we become angry. And a lot of times we, we give that anger in a misguided way and lay it at God's feet. But what do we need to do? Peter encouraged his readers, and he talked about that very thing. We need to do all we can do, and then he said this. He said, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. When we've done all we can do, when we've lived this life in the way God has asked us to do, and we cannot do any more, we need to turn that over to God and He'll handle it. He'll handle it. He'll take care of it. That's why Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. And God will exalt the faithful in due time. Some things, sometimes bad things happen in this life. But if we have a very personal faith like Hannah did, we can overcome. Her faith was a very personal faith, but it was also a very practical faith. I think sometimes the world, or I don't, not sometimes, a majority of the time, the world misunderstands faith. They believe that uh, just knowing about God is what we need. We need to have a personal faith. We need to know about God, but we need to know who God is. But we have to have a very practical faith. Hannah leaned on God for the things in this life that she could not control. She looked to God for guidance. 
Her faith was demonstrated in the life that she led, wasn't it? Someone could look at Hannah and they would have known and understood she was a follower of God. We can't just proclaim a faith in God. We have to live a faith in God. People have to be able to look at our actions, right? Paul demanded that the Corinthians maintain a very practical faith. Notice what he he said to them. He asked them a very important question. He asked, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Everybody ought to know that, right? They should have especially known that. He goes on to say, Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. See, what they had here was a practical faith, wasn't it? They found out who God was, they knew Him, They understood Him, and then that personal faith developed into a practical faith, meaning they stopped doing those things, didn't they? That's the practical faith. We see a problem in our lives, and we put it to practical use, our faith, and get rid of that problem. You know, we always try to make application, right? We read the Old Testament, we're studying in 1 Samuel today, and we need to make an application of Hannah to our lives today because... We don't live under those same circumstances. Certainly don't live under that law today, but we can make application. So they took those practical steps to demonstrate their faith in God. And that's absolutely necessary, isn't it? And that's what God expects us to do. I don't believe it's ever enough. And it isn't taught in the Scripture. It's never enough to simply say, I have faith in God. We have to live that faith. Paul asked the Romans a similar question. He said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. How shall we know? How shall we that are dead in sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead of the, uh, the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 1 through 4. See, that's the practical application of our faith, isn't it? You have two kinds of faith. You have a personal faith and you have the system of faith. Well, our personal faith has to also be a very practical faith. When we study the system of faith, the gospel, and we learn, just like Paul stated here, there's a process by which we become Christians. That's the practical part, right? We have to believe in God, we have to know God, but then we have to obey God. Faith, that we believe He is who He said He was. Repentance of past sins, that's the practical aspect, isn't it? We turn away from those sins, we no longer live in them, and we come up out of the water walking a new life, being a new person, right? That's what God expects. Confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts Acts 8, verse 37. Being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. That's the practical aspect. And then we continue to live in that manner, right? And that's what he's talking about. We, we come up out of the water and, and we walk in a new life. That's the practical aspect. If we're not walking in a new and a different life, we don't have a practical faith. 
And we don't have much of a personal faith either, do we? Because we're not allowing it to develop. God expects us to invest in our families. He expects us to invest in our faith, just like Hannah did. And our third and final point this morning is that Hannah invested in those things, but she also invested in the future. Hannah invested in the future. She committed herself to the future, didn't she? She didn't stop. She never stopped. How often have we seen people who stop investing? They stop their commitment. They fall away, right? That's what Paul talked about in Galatians 5. The the Galatians were falling away. They had stalled their commitment. They were committed to Christ because he was writing to the churches of Galatia. They were Christians. But they allowed their commitment to grow cold. He said, now you're in danger of falling away. Verse 4. So we have to be very careful with that, right? In her situation, we see her commitment as a mother. She made the ultimate commitment, didn't she? She gave her child to God. She she held nothing back. She gave all that was important to her in life. I think it is of great importance for every parent to commit their children to God. We ought to, all of us, give our children to God. They're His. And we want them to get to heaven. That doesn't mean we go drop them off at a, at a congregation, at a church building somewhere. We're not living in the same context of which Hannah lived. We're not going to drop them at the tabernacle, but we give them to God in their training, in the way we bring them up, and helping them get to heaven. We have to commit to investing in their future, right? It's our future and it's their future. Before Samuel was even born, Hannah committed that young man to God. She gave the greatest blessing of this life. Outside of obeying the gospel, outside of finding a husband or a wife who we love, there's not a greater blessing in this world than our children. And Hannah committed him to God. That godly wife and mother, she didn't make a momentary commitment, did she? She made a lifelong commitment. And she did that because she wanted to ensure that her child went to heaven. Who's going to be the next generation of Christians in this life? Who's going to be the next generation who goes out into the world and teaches the gospel and preaches the gospel and brings others to Christ? Who's that going to be? The older folks, we're going to go away one day, aren't we? We're not always going to be here. So we have to invest in our future by bringing up our children. And letting them carry on. She sowed a seed that's still being reaped today. We're studying about Hannah this morning. Her great example. She invested in Samuel's future. And she invested in our future. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been for Hannah. To hand her child over to Eli. At the time he was weaned. She took him up. He would have been about two years old. She took him to the tabernacle. She left him there. Do you know how difficult and inconvenient it must have been for her to go every single year, one time a year, to visit with him? And the heartbreak that she must have felt every year when she went back home, leaving her child behind. You know, it can be inconvenient for parents sometimes to invest in our children. But we need to do that. They don't always understand. We talked about that. They don't always understand why 
They're not allowed to do certain things that other children are allowed to do. It's hard to, hard to explain that. But that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Look down at your child and they want to do something, they can't do it, and they don't completely understand. But that's what God expects because we're training them, we're investing in them. There will come a time when they'll understand, right? Paul wrote this. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 through 2. We owe it to our children. We owe it to us. We owe it to the next generation to invest in our future, to make a commitment, and we need to be like Hannah. Her commitment continued. That's one of the prominent things that sticks out in my mind as as I read and I study about Hannah. Hannah continued with her commitment. She never stopped. She kept going. She never stopped. She would have never stopped. And by doing that, she set a standard, not only for the nation of Israel, but for Christians today. We never stop our commitment. Samuel served as the spiritual leader for all of Israel. How do you think he came to be the man who he was? Because of his mother. Because of his mother. Because she invested in him. We can look around this room today and we can see the dividends that are being reaped today by those who are no longer with us. We see parents and grandparents in this room today who are the result of parents and grandparents. And we are reaping that benefit even today. I look at at my own children. You know, and here's the thing about children. You know, they get grown, they move on into the world, and sometimes they do things that mom and dad don't want them to do. And there's not a lot we can do about that, is there? Oh, we have to invest. We have to train. But when a person gets grown and they move on into life, they're making their own decisions. But here's what we can always be comforted with. If I invested properly in my family, in my faith, and in my future, our families always have the opportunity to overcome. And that's what Hannah did. Did Samuel ever make a mistake in life? Samuel was rebuked by God for not training his children properly. And he knew better, right? He knew better. But he made a mistake. It isn't always convenient to carry out our investments in this life. But it is always worth it. It's worth it always. And we need to understand that, right? Hannah made the right investments in this life. She looked at the things that that she needed to look, look at. She focused on her family, her faith. She focused on the future. She wanted uh, Samuel to get to heaven, the child that she loved so dearly. And maybe we need to ask ourselves this morning if we're making the right investments in life. I think that's a question we might ought to ask ourselves every day. We need to examine ourselves, as Paul said. We always need to put forth the best effort to ensure that we are investing properly. And it does take a lot of effort. You know, we, we want to ensure our financial stability. Let's ensure our spiritual stability as well. But that's what God expects. He expects us to do that so we can enjoy 
the benefits of the next life. If you've never obeyed the gospel, invest in eternity. Invest in your soul. Allow God to to welcome you into the kingdom with open arms through faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins, and faithful living. If you've done that and you've, you've fallen away, for some reason you've become unfaithful. Invest in your future. Invest in your eternity. Come back to God through repentance and confession of sin, whether publicly or privately, whatever is necessary. But let that be known as we stand and as we sing.